Well, good morning, Oak Park family. How are we doing this morning? Doing well? Weather's good? Well, we have something to celebrate this morning, and it's not just coming together and worshiping and praising, but actually we have an anniversary to celebrate. Wilf and Chris, we're all right in the back, trying to hide from us. Today is, is this, is this right, number 63? Is that right? Can you stand up and we can just... Oh, don't pretend that you can't stand up. I know full well you can. What a wonderful uh, testament to, to love and to marriage and to commitment. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that to our family and our community. Well, before we get into it this morning, I just wanted to make just a brief comment about uh, Sarah's announcement. Um, if you came late or if you, if you missed in the announcement time, Sarah was up here and uh, let us know that the Senior High missions trip has been rerouted from our initial plans to go to Haiti. Uh, many of you know that we have had a long relationship for Heart for Home in Haiti and Lifeline and Heart for Home are partners. Uh, and so there's a lot of personal connections. Um, and this was one of the reasons that we chose Haiti, of course. Uh, but as things progressed through the spring, uh, we just kind of kept our finger on the pulse. And as Sarah said, it was wonderful to see uh, working with Lifeline and just their care for us and their experiencing some of this stuff. And then deciding uh, now that uh, for the safety of our team, it would be best to go to Honduras. I can't tell you as, as the senior pastor how not just relieved, but how much of a joy it is for me to work with someone like Sarah. I just want to uh, tell you that because not all of you get to see that. So this is someone who not only cares deeply for her team, but is willing to do the research and the planning, is willing to have those hard conversations with Lifeline. Every single time Sarah comes in my office, she has done her homework. She knows exactly what is being presented what the options are, what the risks are, what the benefits are, what Lifeline's experience is there. Um, and it, it's just such a treat for me to be able to have a youth pastor that I can say, I trust you. You've done the work. You have put the effort in. You have prayed over this. You have loved these kids. Um, I, I trust whatever you think, Sarah. And so uh, it's, a, it's a real privilege to work with someone like that and you guys don't always get to see that. And so I think you ought to know that this isn't just some last-minute change of plans, but this is something that uh, we have really struggled with and wrestled with and, and prayed over a lot. And I know they're going to have a great time. It's wonderful. My dad's been down to that same uh, location and done work with Lifeline in that area. And um, it's, a great, uh, it's a great spot. So that team is going to be blessed, and they are going to be a blessing down there, and I'm so grateful. So come join us next week. Next Sunday, we have our commissioning for the team, and so our elders are going to pray over them and commission them, and that'll be a great celebration. Let's uh, have a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Lord, we've been uh, wrestling with your hard sayings this summer. This long summer series, we've been trying to unpack and understand, and, and not just understand, but implement in our lives what it means to listen to you really listen to you, to not skip over the hard parts of the gospel stories, but to actually dig in and to wrestle with 
with what it means to implement this in our lives. And so this morning, as we look at one more hard saying of yours, I, I pray that your word is heard, that your truth is spoken, and that our hearts are ready to receive it. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Mark chapter 2 says, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. By the way, I should say, we have now filled every week till the end of the summer. We put out a call that if you had a hard saying of Jesus that you wanted to look at, that you could let us know. And so we received all those requests. In fact, this one this morning is a request from someone in the congregation. And so we filled them all up. I'm sorry, we, we might have to do something like that again because there was sure uh, some of you were eager to dig into some of these tricky things. So I had a, a dermatologist appointment this week. Now, I don't generally go broadcasting that. Uh, I might tell people, you know, I had a doctor's appointment. I might even say I had a specialist appointment. But uh, don't usually tell people that I had a dermatologist appointment. Now, I have kind of a theory around that. I have a theory that something about dermatology that really turns people off. Like, I could have told you, oh, I had a ear, nose, throat specialist appointment. Fine. Conversation will keep going. I had a, a podiatrist appointment. Sure, no problem with that. I have a theory that I could have even told you that I saw my urologist this week. And it would not have been the conversation stopper that I had a dermatologist appointment this week. Would have been. There's something about dermatology that immediately sort of makes people queasy. It's like they assume that you have some open, festering sore that they're going to come in contact with immediately if you're going to see a dermatologist. Actually, I think my theory is, is quite biblical. You see, I think when I tell people I have a dermatologist appointment, they automatically assume I have leprosy. Like, that, that's the immediate go-to. Oh, dermatology, leprosy, of course, yeah. The, the reason, of course, behind all this is that when you say dermatologist, people have this, oh, really uneasiness that maybe he's contagious, right? That's, that's really at the root of it. Anyway, at the risk of feeling that sort of recoil from all of you this morning, I'm going to tell you about how this appointment came about. But before I do that, I'll just reassure you that everything's fine. No open festering sores. It's okay. I've had this uh, callus on my foot for years. And my wife uh, has been bugging me to have the doctor check it out. And it's really, you know, she loves me deeply. She cares for my health. Uh, but mostly it's because she thinks it's ugly. That's, that's the truth. She wants it gone. Uh, so at the end of my last uh, checkup at my GP several months ago, I kind of, as an afterthought, sort of brought it up and said, oh, and, you know, I have this callus, and, you know, if you could look at it, that'd be great. And, oh, sure, no problem. And so she starts looking at it. She's looking at it for, like, a really long time, like minutes. She's beginning to look more and more concerned. She's not saying anything. And then I begin to be more and more concerned. And then unprovoked, I'm convinced, totally unprovoked, she looks up and she says, well, I don't think it's cancer. 
Never did I mention the word cancer. Never was that suggested in the doctor's office. Never had that crossed my mind that that was even a possibility. But I assure you that after she said those words, she could not book me into a dermatologist fast enough, right? The reality is when you think that you're healthy, when you think nothing is wrong, going to the doctor seems like a hassle, right? Like a waste of time. But if you think something is the matter, waiting six months to get into a dermatologist seems like a long, unreasonable amount of time. Let me read for us again this hard saying from the Gospel of Mark. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. We were away last week, but uh, through our app, we were still able to be with you in spirit and take in uh, Ron's message on Jesus' offer, which is truly what it is, and he unpacked it for us, to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I thought Ron did such a great job of showing us that this isn't some moral demand of perfection, but it's an invitation to share in the covenant righteousness of God himself. That our deepest and our truest nature as children of God is to lean into that divine gift of grace. So I'm reminding us of Ron's message for, for two reasons. First is this whole context of sin, of perfection, of covenant faithfulness, of, of moral goodness, of cultic or ritual purity is absolutely crucial to unpacking our hard saying for this week. It becomes kind of the context for this hard saying of Jesus. And the second reason is there's this funny little flip or switch that happens between the hard saying from last week and the hard saying of this week that I think is, is worth pointing out. You see, one of the wonderful twists of understanding in Ron's message, really I thought sort of the core piece was this idea that at first glance this command to be perfect seems easy to understand, or easy to grasp, but really hard to swallow. Oh, I, I know what Jesus is saying, it's just hard to do it, right? At first reading, that's what it seems like. But actually, as Ron showed us, uh, this, what seems to be pretty straightforward on slow and careful reading, becomes quite a complex little saying. And with this patient reading of Scripture set in the context on the Sermon on the Mount and the covenantal promises of God in the Old Testament, we came to see that this isn't actually the case at all. It was actually quite a dense phrase to understand, but actually easy to swallow. It kind of culminates with Jesus' words that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But this week, let me ruin the suspense for you right up front. This week, that equation gets flipped. This saying, that appears a bit confusing at first, actually ends up being fairly easy to grasp, but not so easy to swallow. Like a semi-truck, it hits you, whether you're ready for it or not, whether you accept it or not. Well, let's dive in. Let's get into some of this context of this hard saying. What, 
Why does Jesus say this, and what's happening in this story for where these words take place? Uh, first, let's look at who is Jesus talking to? So who is he, he, is he saying these words to? Well, like many of the hard sayings of Jesus in the gospel, these words are directed to the religious teachers and leaders of the day. Earlier in that day, Jesus had met a man named Levi. Now, Levi was a, a tax collector. And Jesus welcomed Levi and, and invited him to be a follower and a friend. And this kind of thing just invited controversy in Jesus' day. There were really two problems that the religious leaders saw with this invitation to Levi. First, tax collectors were just generally unliked. Nobody likes the tax. Some things really never change. I don't need to unpack that for you more than that. Second, they weren't simply unpopular. That is, the, the tax collectors are probably more like a toll collector on a road. They weren't just unpopular, they were actually considered unclean. Well, that's not some, something that we usually deal with in our culture. So that's, that's kind of the different thing. We, we understand the unpopular one, right? But the unclean one sounds a little strange to our ears. You see, it's one thing for a rabbi, a Jewish teacher or leader, to have followers that are unliked, that are unpopular. I mean, you can't like everyone, right? But for a teacher and a leader to have unclean followers was entirely different. So I have this um, Bill Nye science experiment up here that I'm sure has been distracting you since you came in this morning. And we're going to get there. And I was really happy. I did a quick look around and I noticed that all three of our science teachers are away on holidays this week. So I can admit that chemistry was not exactly my strongest subject. Uh, all of that to say, let's hope that the experiment works. The other thing in the, in the kind of contextual background here is this idea of sin, right? That's front and center. We can't, we can't avoid that in this passage. But we often think of sin as sort of personal wrongs, right? Things that, that I do or maybe even things that I, I don't do that sort of miss the mark of God's created intention for us. And so we think about these things as, as personal wrongs that... Uh, have entered into my life, but we also think about these things, uh, rightly so, I think, that entered the institutions in our culture, our families, our churches, our governments, our social agencies, things like that, that actually the brokenness of sin is constitutive. It, it makes it up in these institutions. So there's a personal side and there's a corporate or community side of sin. And I, that's a very biblical and accurate picture of sin. If we want to boil it down to something really digestible, we might say that sin is simply the human tendency to mess things up, right? But the Jews in Jesus' day had an additional way to talk about sin. That is sin as contamination. Sin as contamination. That's different. We had a neighbor and a good friend in Toronto, who was a nurse, but she also had a master's degree in epidemiology, which was an entirely new word for me when I met her. But uh, basically, it's the study of the spread of disease. Uh, so an epidemic, right, is related to epidemiology. 
And I was fascinated. She would tell me all these case studies that they did, all this learning that they did. It's like CSI, really, in the, in the health field. And they're always trying to look for patient zero, right? They always have to trace it back, find a way to trace it back to, to the source of the infection, the disease. How did, it, how did this outbreak happen? Who was it? Who traveled with who? Who, you know, touched this or that? Is it airborne? All these sorts of things. And so for the Jews, it's sort of like this idea. This idea of ritual uncleanliness is a case study in epidemiology, in epidemics. So rather than thinking about sin as something that, that happens because of me or happens within me, uh, there's also this added dimension of this intense concern for sin that happens to me. Right? I'm contaminated by sin from outside, from someone else. So I want us to think about this container as Jesus in this story. And I, want to read, I want you to really try to put yourself in the Jewish leader's shoes. See it through their eyes as we read this story together. And try to understand why they were so concerned with what was happening here. Because I think you'll get the picture pretty quick. It's about staying pure as a teacher. So it starts in Mark 2. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. So Jesus meets the toll collector. Unclean. Jesus doesn't just meet the toll collector. He invites the tax collector to follow him. Unclean. Let's go on. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Levi. Oh, and Levi's friends. Sinners. I think about the possibilities of contamination, of impurity at a meal like this, right? What if, what if that food was offered to idols? What if that food wasn't kosher? What if, what if those sinners had come in contact with something else? I mean, truly, the possibilities are endless for impurity. And who wants a teacher that looks like that. And so when we read this story through our modern Canadian ears, we see that they don't want Jesus eating with these sinners and tax collectors. We think, sure, they're, they're the outcasts. They're the unpopular ones. But we don't think about the impurity. We only see their words as harsh because of that unpopularity. But the truth is we miss what would have been a legitimate concern for the Jewish teachers at that time. That this leader would be contaminated with sin. With uncleanliness. And so it smacked of hypocrisy. I mean, we wouldn't stand for a morally corrupt leader and teacher. So why would they? Why should they accept? 
But you see, what these teachers didn't understand is that Jesus is actually like this container. That is, he's not only perfectly clear and pure, but he invites the impure and the unclean to himself. Come. Come to me. Bring your hurt and your pain, your brokenness, and your sinfulness. I can handle it. I can take it on. I can make it pure, clean again. It doesn't make me impure. You see, friends, we worship not a mere teacher, not a mere teacher, but Jesus, who is not just good, he's God. That's fundamentally different. That's what the Pharisees couldn't catch. It's what they didn't understand was going on at this time. But you see, it gets even better than that. Jesus not only invites us to come to him, he actually invades our space too. Levi, let me come to your tax booth. Levi, follow me. Levi, let me go to your house. Let me eat a meal with your friends, the other unclean ones. Let me pour myself out and make you whole again. It's this idea of reverse contamination. I love this idea of reverse contamination when we talk about Jesus. And when, when you start reading the Gospels with this idea of Jesus as the reverse contamination, Jesus as patient zero of the outbreak, but not the outbreak of the infectious disease, of sin, of death, of chaos. Jesus, patient zero of purity, of holiness, of sinlessness. Everything begins to change. Let me give you two examples from the Gospels. I don't think you can read the Gospels now without seeing this as you read them. By the way, I chose these two for a couple reasons. One is, he's dealing with women in both accounts. And so if you know anything about the ancient Near East culture, you know that often women were considered the most unclean in that culture. Not just that, but the first account is in all for the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Second account is in all four Gospels. These are some of the most prevalent stories in the New Testament. The first is this. Jesus is walking in a crowd and a woman who has had a problem with bleeding, the scholars tell us most likely it's menstrual bleeding, continuous, ongoing, seeks him out. And it's a busy crowd, a busy street, people are bumping, bumping and jostling around and she thinks, if I can just touch him, I know I've heard what he's done. I, I know what he can do. If I can just get close enough in the crowd to touch him, I'll be healed. Sure enough, she grabs the hem of his cloak and instantly the bleeding stops. And she's healed. And Jesus stops mid-stride. says, who touched me? His followers say, teacher, there's people all over the place. Bumping into each other, it's crowded. What do, you, what do you mean? Who touched you? Hundreds of people touched you. Who touched me? 
was me. He felt his power go out to her. He felt that reverse contamination making her pure and whole and clean again. And she had faith that that would happen. The second story found in all four of our Gospels. We're told in the Gospel of John that her name is Mary, a woman of ill repute, a prostitute, who, as Jesus reclines at the table, brings an expensive jar of perfume, probably a year or more wages, breaks the jar, pours it over his feet, drapes herself over and dries his feet with her own hair. What do the teachers say? Don't you know? Don't you know who this is? Let's call it for what it is. The Pharisees are saying, don't you know a whore is at your feet? Don't you get it? She's making you unclean. Jesus says, no, what she has done is for my burial. She has prepared me, and in doing so, I have reverse contaminated her, and she has been made clean. I love the line. It says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, her story will be told. Talk about rubbing it in their faces. See, Jesus is patient zero. And the pandemic is holiness and purity and wholeness and ritual cleanliness and sinlessness, and it's all traced back to him. He's the source and he's the contagion. He's the doctor and he's the cure. When he says, I have come for sinners, we begin to understand the transformative power that makes us pure, we who are unclean. Makes us whole, we who are broken. Makes us clean, we who are sinners. Late in life, the Apostle Paul, close to death, is mentoring many young ministers in Asia Minor, and he writes to Timothy, who is like a son to him. And he says this, Timothy, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. In other words, Timothy, pay attention, this one matters, this one is a big deal. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost, Paul says. The old translations say, of which I am the worst. The friend of sinners. It's one of my favorite names for Jesus. And like Paul, I feel it deep in my soul. My heart finds rest in the reality that Jesus is the friend of sinners because that means he's my friend. So is that it? Did we, uh, did we unpack this hard saying of Jesus sufficiently? No, I think we're actually missing a pretty key piece. What about the righteous? You see, this is really where it seems hard to grasp, isn't it? Why did Jesus, in saying this, seem to divide the world up into sinners and righteous? It doesn't make sense to us. The truth is, however, he, he puts it this way to especially convict those who are accusing him. For we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
There is no righteous and sinners in two different categories. There's just sinners, all of us. But there are sinners who know that they need a doctor, and there are sinners that feign help, that fake it. And so we have a third bucket. You maybe can't see that it's contaminated, when they hide it well. They avoid the, the place of sinners. They do the, the righteous things. They don't engage or interact with those who are unclean. And they try to make it on their own. They don't need a doctor, or so they think. Reminds me of a man who waited too long to go to the doctor. The doctor came back and said, Listen, I'm really sorry. I have terrible news, but uh, you're terminal. Things don't look good for you. I, I mean, I... I'd say, I'd say I'd give, give you, you ten, maybe? And that's a ten, ten, ten what? Ten, ten years? Ten, ten months? The doctor said nine, eight, seven, six. You see, friends, we may think that we look pure and clean on the outside. But the truth is, when we're exposed to the right light, that toxicity shines forth. We can't hide that we're nuclear. We may look clean, but we aren't. We glow with sin. It's far easier to recognize and admit our condition and call it what it is. I'm sick. I need a doctor. I need the friend of sinners to come to me, to contaminate me with his holiness. So how about you? Have you paid the doctor a visit recently? Have you admitted, even, that you need help? That you need healing? You see, friends, Jesus is even able to wipe that hidden glow of sin away and to make us pure just like him as he pours himself out. It worked. Amazing. Eh? It might have been more memorable if it didn't work. That's always the trade-off. The truth is, it's more than a fun science experiment, isn't it? This is your life. Truthfully, you're the reason that God and Jesus came. You're the reason that he's patient zero. You're the reason that he took on sin, that he poured himself out, that he died a sinner's death. It was to wash you clean, to make you whole. And all you got to do is admit you need the doctor. Over my years in the church, I've seen hundreds of baptisms. And there's been some amazing sort of professions of faith and stories of conversion. Uh, but I remember one above all else. I was a teenager, so it was many years ago. And this woman had uh, immigrated from mainland China. And so her, her English was still very broken. And when she was in the tank being ready, by the way, to be washed clean of the sin.
through baptism, buried with Christ and raised in new life. She was asked, is, is there anything that you would like to say? She said one sentence. I don't deserve this. You see, Jesus came for the sinners, for the ones who know that we're sick, who don't want to be sick anymore, who want to be clean, who want to be whole, who want to be pure, who want to let the doctor work in their life. Let's pray. Father, it is hard, hard to admit that we don't deserve this. That what we deserve is that crimson stain of sin, that glowing toxicity within us. But what you offer is to give of yourself, to pour yourself out, and to wipe us clean. We thank you for being our doctor for cleaning us from sin and brokenness, for bringing peace and love. As we pick up our offerings this morning, we ask that you would bless them, that you would bless those who give, that they would understand that what they're giving to is uh, your kingdom, that you would multiply these gifts so that we can use them for the furthering of your church and your kingdom and the ministries that you have called us to that we would be generous in how we use it, and that we would never stop proclaiming your gospel. In your son's name we pray. Amen.